First Kings, starting in chapter 5. Now Hiram, uh, who was king of Tyre, sent servants to Solomon because he had always been close to David. And then Solomon sent back word to uh, Hiram saying that, you know, David couldn't build a temple for the Lord, uh, but he wanted me to, and I, I want to, and you are the best woodcutters in all the world, and so would you help me? and I will send you uh, food as wages. And, and so they work out a deal so that um, Hiram is sending logs and workers and, uh, and Solomon is sending lots of food. So they have a, a good arrangement there for, for all the time that it, it, you know, for the number of years that it takes to do this. And the chapter ends with the fact that uh, Solomon conscripts laborers. So he has a lot of forced laborers working on this project and uh, it kind of gives you a lot of details and um, who was in charge and who was working and how that worked. And then we move on to chapter 6. Now this chapter begins by describing the temple that Solomon built in, in a lot of detail. And uh, it, it, if, you, if you understand that the Lord is building his temple amongst his people, that each one of us is a living stone then it's kind of cool to see the detail in which they not only built the temple, but that he preserved the knowledge of how they built the temple, the care that went into it. They didn't even, uh, you know, it didn't even sound like a construction site when they were building. They were so careful about how they built. And in the same way, God is very careful about his work and who he chooses and how he shapes each one of us as a precious stone to be used in his house to contain his glory. Now, the Lord makes a new covenant with Solomon, which is a, a repeating of the covenant he made with his father David, but he, you know, he specifically makes his covenant with, with Solomon. If, if you walk in my statutes and execute my ordinance and keep all my commands by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So this is a, a powerful promise that God is making to Solomon. Solomon just has to keep his end up of the bargain. And the, the inside of the temple is decorated with the imagery um, alluding to the garden. This whole idea of God with us, it's supposed to take us back to the garden where we made the wrong turn when we lived in perfect unity with God, that we were to be raised up as sons who represent him and rule for him, that we represent God to the world and, uh, and can teach the world, all of creation, of his ways. And so this imagery of the garden is there. The uh, cherubim um, showing, you know, the cherubim were, were placed at the garden when Adam and Eve were kicked out uh, to guard the way. And so here's the, the cherubim guarding the way back in, the presence of the Lord. And so it took seven years to build the church, and, and that's how chapter 6 ends. So I'm just going to play around with the numbers a little bit. Uh, you may have heard a lot of people talk about how, um, the, you know, a day is like a thousand years. And so in the biblical calendar, we're getting close to that 7,000th year so a lot of people look at that 
you know, the the first six thousand years is like preparation, and then the seventh the seven thousandth <laughs> seven thousands. I'm not quite sure how to say that. Uh, years are the thousand year reign. Um, uh, similarly, they look at it, which doesn't apply here, but uh, um, you know, on the third day, Jesus raising, and Jesus was two thousand years ago, so we're entering the the third day. Um, but in this case, the if you look at the seven, it took us seven years to build the temple. And then the Lord entered it in a mighty way. So that's just a fun thing to think about. Um, okay, and on to chapter 7. And Solomon built his own house, which he took 13 years, so almost twice as long to build his own house. And so Solomon had very nice living quarters in there. He also built very nice living quarters for Pharaoh's daughter, his, I guess, first wife in there. And, and then also the... Uh, hall of justice where he would uh, sit on his throne and listen to legal questions or requests and there's a man named Huram who is half uh, Israelite from the tribe of Naphtali and half uh, Tyre of Tyre or, or a Sidonian um, you know from that kingdom and um, he comes to do uh, all the metal work for King Solomon and so he fashions these giant bronze uh, pillars with capitals on the top, with pomegranates and, and all kinds of decorations uh, to basically be the entrance of the temple. And he made this giant sea, uh, uh, which is about 15 feet across, rim to rim, and seven and a half feet deep, about 45 feet in circumference. Um, and it had gourds all along the edge, and it was it was resting on twelve oxen, uh, three facing each direction, and uh, so this really impressive uh, sea, which was to for the ritual washing of the priests, and um, just I don't know, it's really crazy impressive thing in the middle of the temple. That I don't know, seems strange to me in our day, but. Um, but, you know, it, it points to the importance of cleanliness in entering before the presence of the Lord. And so he also made ten uh, water carts and ten small bronze basins uh, to, to bring all the water that would be necessary. And he goes into great detail about what these look like and how they're built. He also made ash buckets, shovels, and bowls, which were necessary for the, uh, you know, the fire of the presence of the Lord and the... And the the offerings that were made daily and the bronze used to make all these things was just beyond counting uh, and they also made furnishings of the lord and a lot of gold used here the altar to the lord the uh, gold table for the bread of the presence the lamp stands five on the south five on the north in front of the most holy place the flower decorations, lamps, tongs, all of gold, small bowls, lamp snuffers, bowls, ladles, incense burners, all solid gold. The doors to the entrance to the most holy place and the main room of the temple were overlaid with gold. And so, um, you know, obviously it's just, it's just made very precious. And that's, again, to symbolize the, the preciousness of uh, both the, the presence of the Lord direction, the sovereignty of the Lord in our lives, and the preciousness of us, those that make up his temple to him. 
And so then Solomon brings, he finished the temple. He brings in all the things that his father David had dedicated, made of silver, gold, and other articles, and stored them in the treasury of the temple. And then we move on to chapter 8. And so Solomon calls all the, the heads of the tribes of Israel and has them all come because he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant from the city of David into the newly built temple. And they're doing this on what we call the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Shelters or Feast of Booths because it symbolizes the Lord's presence with us. It maybe symbolizes is not a strong enough word, but it's, it's to remember the Lord taking care of all of our needs in the wilderness and being with us, basically being our life. And so the the reenactment of the temple is to to bring about this reality now into the lives of the people of Israel at that time. And of course this this um this feast every year should be a a, a further stepping into this reality in our lives. So the priests and the Levites brought the ark and there was tremendous sacrifice made to the Lord and uh they they place it in the holy of holies and uh and also the tent of meeting which the ark had lived in for a long time hundreds of years is also brought and the the ark is placed you know beneath the wings of the cherubim the poles uh came out of the holy of holies into the into the uh holy place and so this peeking out symbolizes access even though the people of Israel chose not to go up the Mount Zion when they were called, sorry, not Mount Zion, but the, the Mount of the Lord. Um, when Moses went up, God wanted all the people to be a, a nation of priests. And, but the people said, no, we're scared. We're going to send up you, Moses. We're not going to go up. And whereas God had said, don't come up until the third day, that third day represents, um, a promised time to come because God knows how all these things are going to work out. And, and the, uh, the handles of the ark of the presence poking out, I think also symbolizes kind of the promise of a, a people walking, uh, walking with the presence of the Lord. And, and then it just reminds us what's in the ark and the, the two stone tablets that God had given Moses which, you know, represent the law that, that God gives us in order to, to be a people ordained and led by him and his law. And I don't know why it doesn't mention the other two things that are in the ark. Um, we know that there's a jar of manna in the ark, and we know that there is a uh, Aaron's staff that budded almond buds is in the ark. And, um, and so, again, you know, these, these symbolize the... Uh, the the life of God the the staff is like the tree of life and also the authority from God to minister his life and the the manna from heaven is God's provision and taking care of those who are his in all circumstances uh, these are also in the ark but they're not mentioned here in first kings 8 and as soon as the priest finished this duty of setting these things up the presence of the Lord came, a thick cloud filled the temple, and the priests couldn't even continue their work because the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. And there, people were just in awe and wonder, and that's all they could do is just worship and be in awe of the Lord. Again, this is a picture of 
of God fulfilling the Feast of Tabernacles, which is when this happened, uh, of just completely filling and consuming his people, those who completely dedicate their lives to him and no other and are just filled with him. And then David gives a great speech. He starts by uh, praising the Lord, but he's also, you know, praising himself for building the temple. And and then he re- he reminds the people of the promise God made to David uh, that David wanted to build God a temple, but he said, "No, I, you know, I will build a temple to honor my name, and one of your sons will do it." And Solomon assumes that he has the one that's completed this in a, in a, a way as a type and shadow he has because he's built this temple and God has filled it. But of course, what what God was really speaking of is that Jesus would come as Messiah and he would build a temple made of living stones of people and God would fill it. And, and that's when his purposes would make, be made complete. And the, full, the, the fullness of this living reality of a a temple of many precious stones uh the bible also uses a a, uh, he gave me a vision once and i later realized it was actually in the scripture i can't remember if it's isaiah or a psalm um but a a crown with many precious jewels in it is another picture of of those dedicated to the lord not just people claiming to be christian but those who give him their lives being raised up as as precious stones in a crown or as living stones of a temple that is then filled with his glory just as this picture shows of him filling the temple of him filling his people the temple which is um what the feast of tabernacles is all about and that's when this is happening and again you know i say it a lot but the biblical holidays are important um, the the worldly holidays of, of man that uh, modern Christianity has created do not have the rich meaning of the scriptures of what God set up because they're things that man set up. And so we should, we should realize what God is doing and saying through these things and look forward to what he is still yet to do based on what the scripture tell us, tells us he is going to do. And then Solomon prays to the Lord and he reminds him, he reminds God of his promise, but he doesn't remember himself, we know, going forward. He says, no, he said, uh, for you said, you know, for you, God said to my father, David, if your descendants guard their behavior and faithfully follow me as you have done. Sorry, I'm in, I I moved to NLT so I could understand the distances and stuff. And so let me change translation. The NLT, I think, is wonderful for, um, well, like things like cubits. I don't know what a cubit is, so I, I like reading it. If uh, if there's things like that that I, I just don't understand, it, it puts it in easy English. But sometimes their efforts to put things in easy English twist the meaning a little bit. And uh, so I wanted to switch over to NASB where... Um, it's going to be a more precise uh, translation. So he he reminds God of the promise to David, you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel if only your sons take heed to their way to walk before me as you have walked. And this is 
a little different. It, it talked about behavior. And yes, behavior is an outflow of walking with the Lord. If if we walk with the Lord, our behavior is going to be better. So that's there's somewhat of an accuracy to that translation. But it's not so much about actions. It's about lifestyle. It's about the heart. It's about uh, are we walking before the Lord in our ways or are we walking in our own ways and we're just kind of visiting the Lord at times to grant our wishes. And and so that's that's why I didn't like that translation. I wanted to move away from it. Because you can have all kinds of good behaviors. You can have... Be- your behaviors can all look perfect to the outside world. But if if in your heart you are not walking according to the Lord, to unto the Lord, with the Lord, then he does not care about any of it. He doesn't care about all your good deeds because you are not living the life that he has designed you for. So that is key. So even though Solomon's not going to keep his end of this prayer bargain, um, he, he does you know, make a powerful prayer here about, uh, you know, even though I've built this temple, this temple can't contain you. You are far bigger and more powerful than this temple. And he prays that, that God will hear his words, that he will bless this prayer, but also that, you know, people who come and pray at this temple, that God will bless, bless his prayer. And, um, and, and, and God does honor it for a long, long time. But remember, it was all predicated on the king and the people actually having a heart for God. And so eventually this temple is not going to represent him and he'll do away with it to make a, a newer, better living temple. And and so, you know, Solomon's prayer is beautiful. It, it always just strikes me. Both Solomon, you know, I'm sure they were moved by, the, I, I know their their prayers were led by the Spirit of the Lord because they were knowing things that that a normal man would not even think, you know, a, a, a man that's establishing a kingdom and a temple for God is not going to think one day the people are going to turn away from all this and God's going to punish them and remove them from the land he just gave us. That's just not how a man thinks, but God knows these things are going to happen. And so Moses prayed about it, taught about it. <laughs> Solomon's praying about it, talk, uh, talking about it. And these things are all going to come true. So in the prayer, he talks about, for one, the blessings, the, the aliens from far, you know, far across the world coming and blessing the Lord, coming to the Lord here at this place. But then he also talks about when the people turn away from you, God, but then later they repent. And after you've taken them off to strange lands, help them to come back to this place. So it's a very wonderful, all-encompassing prayer to what Israel is going to go through over the next, you know, thousand years. And then he turns his attention to, from praying to God to uh, blessing the people and commanding them to follow after the ways of the Lord, follow his commandments, that he is good and a blessed life comes with following him. And uh, the chapter ends with them just continuing to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, Feast of Shelters, whichever word you want to call it. And, um, and you know, the mighty sacrifices they give, and, the, and they even extended it an extra seven days. They were just, just uh, glorying in the Lord and His presence and His goodness for them. That's it for today. God bless you.